Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. This is going to be a great show. I'm so glad that you tuned in. We have Jenny Leary here today, and she is the Zero Waste and Sustainability Project Manager for Boston Public Schools. And they're doing a lot of amazing things in sustainability, but their Zero Waste program is just exemplary. And you can actually get out on their website, uh, go to Departments. Go to facilities management, and then you'll get on their facility management page and go to sustainability and energy. And from there, you can see their zero waste tab, and you're just going to be blown away. And so we're going to have Jenny walk us through their amazing zero waste program. I want to welcome you to Go Green Radio, Jenny, and I'd love to start by having you talk to us about why Boston Public Schools has embarked on a zero waste initiative. Why is it important for your community? Yeah, thanks, Jill, for having me. Um, So in 2019, the city announced a zero waste plan uh, to divert 80% or more of waste uh, by recycling or composting. Um, Since two-thirds of the city's municipal building stock are BPS buildings, we cannot reach our goals without um, involving our school buildings. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So so this started with a city initiative. You must have a good partnership with the city um, to be working on that together. That's really inspiring. Not every school district is that responsive um, to city climate and waste goals. So that's pretty awesome. I want you to give us an idea of the scale of Boston Public Schools waste stream. I have a couple of questions. So first of all, how many students and adults are generating waste at your schools and about how much waste do you produce? Yeah, so our current enrollment is over 48,000 students, and we have over 10,000 staff and faculty. Um, so we have we measure our waste in two different ways. Um, the majority of our waste is measured by volume. So many of our schools have uh, cubic yard dumpsters, either 10 or 2, 4, 6, 8, 10 cubic yards. Um, and the reports from last fiscal year for that was over, uh, was over 156,000 cubic yards of waste. Um, We do also have some dumpsters that are measured by tonnage, and those collected over 550 tons of waste. Wow, that's significant. So uh, let's think about this. If Boston Public Schools could achieve zero waste, what kind of environmental impact do you think that might have on your community? Yeah, so we're a large urban school district. I think if we are able to achieve major waste reduction successes, I don't know if zero is possible, but as close as close as possible, um, it's a it's a destination. Um, we can hopefully be an inspiration to other districts across the country who might be challenged by these complex behavior change issues, and hopefully um, be able to inspire them to make small changes that um, that can make a big impact. I think you will. And actually, that's the whole reason we're doing this show today, because I think you are a role model and the way that you've crafted your zero waste initiative is just fantastic. It's so well organized. And we're going to talk about that. But, you know, the environmental impact of waste streams are so multimodal. I mean, for one thing, you know, you're you're saving space. Uh, you know, that might be landfilled or incinerated and things like that. But there's a tremendous amount of greenhouse gas emissions that are associated with waste, whether it's through the vehicles that are hauling the waste, um, you know, and how the waste is treated. And so if you guys are able to significantly reduce that waste stream, you're also going to have a significant 
impact on your community's climate change contribution. So that is really impressive. Now, I know that a good deal of your waste um, goes to a waste to energy plant. Um, and you were recently able to tour that plant. And I'd love to hear what some of your takeaways were from that experience. Yeah, well, thanks for setting setting that up, Jill. That was really nice. Um, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> um, so I was really so I was able to go with uh, the zero waste team for the public works department, as well as um, a new hire on our energy team. Um, so it was all, all five of us kind of going up there, and it was really a fun day. Uh, I think I was just really impressed with how thorough and how transparent the tour was. We got to see everything from like the dump floor to um, how the computers are measuring the energy data. And that was just really interesting to be able to see kind of how our waste goes at the end of at the end of the stream, at the end of that linear economy. Um, and I, I think what I asked one of the questions about um, in recently in Massachusetts, there was a mattress, there's a mattress ban. Mm -hmm. And I kind of asked them how that's impacted their work. And they said that, you know, the mattresses are really bulky and they, they um, were kind of a big harm in their process. So it's mm -hmm. actually been really, they've seen a great reduction of mattresses and um, it's really helped their process along. So I, I really liked hearing that connection of how the policies um, in the state are impacting like the, the downstream process. Absolutely. Well, and that company, uh, you know, it's run by Covanta. Um, I've actually been to Covanta plants in multiple states and I had the same experience. You know, I asked them, well, what about recycling? Doesn't that reduce the amount of material that you're processing? And they're like, well, we don't want, you know, recycling here. There are certain things we don't want in the plant. We want to do the right thing. Um, we want those materials to be utilized at the highest possible level. And so, um, yeah, I it, it's always a very eye-opening experience to, to visit one of those waste-to-energy plants and see, um, you know, it's funny, I've taken students on field trips even to a nuclear uh, power facility and the control room for you know, a Covanta waste energy plant looks very similar in terms of, you know, monitoring the emissions, monitoring, you know, all of the data that goes through there. Um, so that's cool. I'm so glad that you guys got to do that. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate, appreciate most about Boston Public Schools approach to zero waste is that it starts from the top down. Um, you know, with the Go Green Initiative, my nonprofit, we've been doing this since 2002, and we've seen a lot of school districts fail because they've tried to do it in kind of a whack-a-mole approach, you know, school by school or classroom by classroom. And you guys have really done it from the top down. I'd like to start talking about what you've done by having you walk us through the Boston Public Schools recycling and zero waste policy. Yeah, thanks. So the um, intent of this policy is to reduce the amount of waste generated by building occupants and reduce the amount of non-recyclable waste that's hauled to and disposed of in landfills, or in our case, just incineration facilities. Um, so we broke it down into background policy implementation and recycling procedures. Um, by material streams. So things that we deal with, like we'll talk about later, textiles, hazardous waste, single stream recycling, um, and just contact information for those different material streams. Uh, so the background information of our policy explains the connections to the city waste goals that I mentioned previously and our connections with public works department. Um, it also explains the mass DEP waste bans that we're expected to comply with. And I think one important note that um, in the policy is that we really 
want to always make sure that zero waste is a community-wide effort and it's not reliant on any one individual. It really does take everyone in the school-based staff and students um, to be able to contribute to this. Amen. You know, everybody is contributing to the waste stream. Every hand is placing materials, you know, in a bin. And so it really is an all hands approach. And I I like the way that you guys have laid out your policy. It's very thorough and it's on your website. Again, I'm going to tell everybody how to get to this. So bear with me. First of all, go to Boston Public Schools and then click on departments, scroll down and go to facilities management And then when you get to that page, click on sustainability and energy. And then when you get to that page, click on zero waste. And that's where you'll find this policy. And I think it really does a great job of, again, setting a a bar, setting a standard for other school districts to follow. Because I've worked with a lot of school districts that are like, oh, my gosh, where do we start with the policy language? And this is a really good template. So I appreciate the way that you guys have laid this out. You know, Ginny, there was a time, believe it or not, when school districts could get paid a lot of money for recycling. I mean, you know, I live in California and there was a time when school districts could even get paid for paper recycling. That's how valuable that commodity was at the time. And that has changed. The the economics of recycling has changed a lot, but there are still some economic advantages to, you know, recycling and and other forms of waste diversion. I'd like you to talk to us about the economics of trash versus recycling for Boston public schools. Great. Yeah. And I will say, Jill, a quicker route to get to that website is just bostongreenschools.org. Oh, bam. There you go. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, just a faster, faster way to get there. Um, Yeah, so we're really lucky with our partnership with Public Works Department. So recycling pickup for BPS is free and trash pickup is covered by our operating budget. Um, So school recycling is really just picked up by the Public Works Department as part of the residential recycling program. So if your school is located in the Brighton neighborhood and Brighton gets picked up at a certain day, that's when the school will be picked up as well. And school trash is operated by a private contractor. Um, So we're always trying to kind of get awareness out there by saying, hey, like, let's divert as much as we can to recycling. Um, And this reduces the trash volume, especially when it comes to, uh, I've been working with food and nutrition services to get kind of their bulky items out of the trash, like the big salad salad dressing containers and cans, um, because we pay by volume and those are really voluminous. So in order, so, and they're all recyclable. So we want to make sure that we're trying to get everything that can be recyclable in the bins um, and hopefully see if that can lead to a reduction of the volume that we're putting out. Well, that's really smart. You know, a, a lot of school districts that I've worked with um, have not given as much mind to what's happening in the kitchens and the the child nutrition services department's contributions to waste. I mean, they're really thinking about classrooms. They're thinking about the lunch area. And that is, I mean, that's a significant percentage of a school's waste stream. But when you talk about volume, when you talk about those big cans, um, especially those 10 cans, those take up a ton of space because we don't crush them. Um, and that costs a lot of money. And so it's really smart that you guys have, have been working with your child nutrition services department. I know that later we'll talk about some of the food waste related work that you guys are doing, but I've got to say, 
I absolutely love the zero waste guide that you guys provide to your schools. Take some time and walk us through that guide and highlight some of the most important information that you guys have included. Yeah, so I will say full disclosure, this was created before I started um, at my role, and um, but I have been able to work on it a little bit since we started, or since I started in August of last year. Um, so the guide really outlines um, best practices, offers suggestions to increase recycling in schools, and builds um, zero waste and sustainability knowledge. It's meant to be a one-stop shop for all things waste um, for any of the school-based staff, um, and how how we handle different waste streams, like how the process for how recycling moves through the building, and um, how trash moves through the building. Um, and I love that it highlights different recycling tips, and um, it also just kind of compiles all the things on our website, so people can just print it out or have a quick access to it um, to be able to get every, anything they need in regards to recycling and trash. It's really, really good. And I think that it's something that other school districts could definitely, you know, download and easily modify for their own school districts. I mean, recycling is a very zip code specific exercise. I mean, what's recyclable in my zip code may be a little different than what's recyclable in your zip code because of availability of markets. But um, this is a template that that I think, you know, schools in other places uh, could definitely take advantage of. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Jenny Leary from Boston Public Schools. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And if you just tuned in, 
Let me catch you up. Our guest today is Jenny Leary, and she's the Zero Waste and Sustainability Project Manager for Boston Public Schools. And they really have an exemplary program for zero waste. There's a lot of resources on their website. And now I know the shortcut, bostongreenschools.org. <laughs> That's the way to get there. And you'll see all of their sustainability work. But they have the Zero Waste tab. And there are so many tremendous resources that school districts anywhere could take and make their own. And that's why we're having Jenny on today. You know, Jenny, one of the the, the hardest things for school districts that are just starting recycling or just starting composting is getting their arms around the equipment that's needed on campuses. And I've seen school districts as small as 15 campuses go berserk trying to get the right equipment. Now, here we've got a great big urban school district like Boston Public Schools, and you guys have it down to a science. Talk to us about this easy-to-use equipment order form that you have for your schools, and I want to hear how your schools use it, and I also want to hear how it helps your procurement folks. Great, yeah. So, um this is actually one of the first things that I worked on when I started last year. Um, and it was, it already sort of existed in an award document form. Um, my, the person who was responsible for this um, before I started always wanted to make sure that uh, we were able to make it accessible to anyone, um, especially the custodians who aren't as tech savvy. Um, but I suggested that we create it into a Google form and it's been working really well. So anyone can use it, but it's mostly used by custodians. Um, it's also in my email signature, so it can be accessed by anyone and I get like a notification, just like a normal Google form. Um, all of our ordering is done internally. So I have a backlog and I communicate with um, our warehouse team, which is located in a warehouse in Brighton. Um, so when I see an order, I the person that I coordinate with prefers text. So I just send him a text and say, hey, you know, we have this, this school is re- requesting, um, you know, 15 recycling classroom bins and five totes or five carts. Um, and they just let me know when um, they deliver them. And uh, this is the same team that actually picks up, picks up all of our cardboard, which is separated out separately. Um, so sometimes we'll just kind of combine those trips. Um, yeah, it works pretty smoothly. And we actually just got a whole bunch of um, new recycling bins, or classroom bins delivered uh, yesterday. So um, that's been, that's good. And I just kind of make sure that I keep up on the inventory um, and order ahead of time to make sure that we're never like, you know, not have any that when they got requested. Um, yeah. I also have a lot of posters on that form and I, uh, we try to provide them in all the languages that are that are um, offered in Boston Public Schools. We have some areas of our school district that are prominently speaking in Vietnamese or Haitian Creole or Cape Verdean Creole. Um, so I have all of those recycling posters translated into different languages. Um, and I'm currently working with communications for a combined poster in order to have less waste. So right now it's like English and Spanish, English and Haitian Creole, but we're working on one that's like a combined language poster. So I can just give out one poster as opposed to being like, you need 10 Somali posters. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, that's, so yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's so well organized. And again, this is an example of the school district taking control of that versus doing school by school by school. I mean, I am aghast at how disorganized this function is in some school districts where 
every school individual campus is is trying to do this themselves. It's berserk, um, to say the least. So this is really a great example. Now, you have something else on your website. It's called a zero waste profile sheet. And I want to hear more about this. Is it required? Who's responsible for filling it out? And what happens when it's submitted? And maybe you can also tell our listeners what's on the zero waste profile sheet. Talk to us about that. Sure. Yeah. So it's not um, in- it's not required, but encouraged uh, by our team for anyone to use it. I will say this is something that um, I would like to see used more. I I don't I haven't had too much experience with people using it um, since I started, but it's something that I'm consistently trying to uh, to get to use. But it's really just so it's the purpose of this sheet. It includes kind of the the key players and the stakeholders for how waste moves through the building, including the custodians or maybe. Um, a student team that is handles the recycling because that happens at some of our schools and um, or there's just a teacher or a staff member who's just incredibly passionate and um, wants to take that on. So it's really just meant to be kind of a quick uh, cheat sheet for who to contact if you have questions about that um, for school-based staff. Um, and they should also know their recycling pickup day, which you can find out through um, the Public Works Department website as well. Oh, I love that. You know, one of the things that I know you and I have talked about is waste tracking. You know, when people at a school district work hard and they they really you know, do a lot to separate their waste from their recycling and their composting, they want to know, like, did we do it? <laughs> did we make a difference? And being able to track waste is such an important thing. And one of the things that's very difficult for schools to do a good job on waste tracking is if they don't know their waste pickup schedule, it's hard to get the right data on the right days. And so that's that's really awesome that you guys have made it so easy to find out. Um, you mentioned about posters a little bit, but I want you to talk to us in more detail about the signage because I have seen school districts, you know, really drive themselves crazy trying to create signage, especially as I mentioned, you know, that recycling is so zip code specific and, you know, your child nutrition services department is purchasing certain things uh, to serve food in and, you know, is it recyclable? Is it compostable? You know, getting the signage right can be a real challenge. Talk to us about how Boston public schools have tackled this really important issue. Yeah. So um, there was some good research done on this uh, with with a com- partnership with the city, and they decided to choose actual pictures of the food that's being served. Um, mm-hmm. So our recycling posters have pictures of the trays, the like specific uh, in terms of some of our schools that are composting specific foods, um, plastic bottles, and even pictures of like the milk cartons, the things that we actually use, so that there's no kind of confusion on what it is. Um, I think sometimes that can happen if it's just a drawing, which mm-hmm. looks cute, but may not um, be easily re- recognizable by everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, like again, like to provide our language or our posters in all the, our languages. Um, so we're providing signage equitably across the district. Um, and yeah. yeah, we just try to provide different, like different, um, where, where to put it. Uh, and also um, I have some signage based off of our cardboard. As I, men- as I mentioned, it gets picked up separately. 
Um, so we ha- I made some signage recently about how like that the cardboard should be broken down and um, and placed into the separate hampers so that it can be collected for pickup. Um, I think I just think signage and creating it so it just takes it's more useful for for everyone involved. And this is a function of the school district, right? I mean, this is centralized, right? Correct. Yeah, I create a lot of the posters, and then um, in overseeing all of our custodians are area managers. So I'll send them out to them and give them the posters, and they will work with their custodians to put them up. And how do the schools post them? I mean, I have seen online about a hundred different ways <laughs> to get students' attention with signs. You know, sometimes it's on the bins, sometimes it's hung on the wall behind the bins. Uh, I've even seen very intricate like PVC piping around the bins and the signs are hung on that. What's your strategy in Boston Public Schools? Where do you actually put the signs for maximum impact? Definitely just on the wall behind them. I think that it's good to have it at eyesight. Um, and we also do eyesight for our compost bins as well. Um, I think on the, on the bins is a little, um, can be a little bit lower and um, than, than most people would, would see. So. Um, yeah. except for like Unless you're in kindergarten. It's really good yeah. for the kindergartners, <laughs> but yeah, sure. everybody else, <laughs> not line <Yeah>. of sight. <laughs> um, I want to talk about this role of zero waste coordinator that you have at the schools. Who is allowed to serve as a school zero waste coordinator? And tell us a, more about that position and you know how they interface with the school district. So anyone who's passionate about it can do it. Um, this is definitely, again, one of the programs that I want to start building up a little bit more through my role. Um, I think with the with the pandemic, um, a lot of a lot of things sort of, uh, you know, different priorities took place. So it's something that I have in my my pipeline to be able to kind of bring up. Um, I do coordinate with a lot of various passionate teachers and staff and custodians. Um, so it's really lovely to hear and connect with the people who are really passionate about that across the schools. Different, there's like at one school, there's a green operations person, and I coordinate with him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so those would be the people who I would consider being serving serving as a zero waste coordinator role. Um, eventually, I'd really love to have a point person for all the schools that I can peer- periodically provide metrics. Like you mentioned, data is really important. I'm a huge data nerd, and I love sharing the data. <laughs> um, and I just, I also think that, you know, I bridge a gap between connecting schools with different ideas. So I recently went to a school and I was, and she wants to start uh, increasing the recycling. And I said, okay, talk to this person. They do a really good job. So I want to be able to provide a network for the schools so they can, you know, not start from scratch because like you said, it is really complicated and people have already been doing really good work and I want them to, to connect with each other and, and be a su- source of um, support. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is it always an adult who is a staff member or is there ever a time when it's a student or a parent? Um, it's most mostly student or sorry, mostly either staff or teachers. Um, I do work with some really good student groups as well at some of my schools. There's a student um, recycling and environmentalism clubs and uh, I, last year we had some great, like some great students at some of those things where I was able to, mm-hmm. um, you know, work with them on the composting pilots and, um, and kind of increasing recycling. Well, I think 
that's great. I mean, I think there's definitely a role for students. Sometimes parents get involved, especially at the elementary level, but having it as an adult staff member of the school district, I think is really important because they tend to be there longer. Parents leave, students leave. And if you have a zero waste coordinator who is actually on on the payroll. I think that's a big plus. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. A little birdie told me Voice America is on X. At Voice America TRN. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so glad you're with us today because we're talking to Jenny Leary, who's the Zero Waste and Sustainability Project Manager for Boston Public Schools. If you want to check out the website that we've been referring to, where all of these resources are found, go to bostongreenschools.org, and they have a zero waste area where you can click on that and see all of the great resources that we're talking about. So, Ginny, one of the things that, you know, I've experienced uh, with my organization, you know, going in to help school districts with recycling is that once we get to the point where the district says, this is what we're going to do, you know, we're going to we're going to recycle as much as we can, um, you know, and, and school sites, you need to help the adults and the students on your campuses learn how to use a recycling bin. It's not always, you know, just evident of what goes where. And you provide your schools with a recycling education resource guide. Talk to us about what's included in that guide and how your schools use it. 
Yeah, so this is again available on our website. Um, it's broken down into different categories. Uh, they were able to separate it out into um, categories for the Massachusetts like learning standards. Um, so you have a section for that, uh, and then there's a section for for non-Massachusetts learning standards. I don't really, I'm not familiar with what those are, but um, mm. that's how it's separated out. And then it's also by grade level as well, so educators can kind of navigate which ones. Um, is appropriate for their their students and what might work for them. Um, I know we recently provided a link to this to the that we worked with the STEM department for STEM mm -hmm. week and we were able to give them that list. Um, I don't I didn't hear any feedback if anyone was able to use it, but I really hope they were. Um, mm -hmm. Recycling education is so important and there's so many good resources out there. And something that I'm working on too um, with our digital learning team is uh, awareness through like gamification um, mm. through a resource called Nearpod. And oh, I'm hoping yeah. to, to work with them to create uh, for composting and for recycling um, a way for students to kind of have an interact, interactive like curriculum plus uh, gamification of, of this program. Um, that's so cool. And, and you know, recycling is becoming more and more of an expectation in the workplace. Um, if, if you go to college, um, you know, I've had a lot of students that have come through our program over the last few years. And when they went to college, um, they felt kind of sorry for some of the kids that came from school districts that didn't do this because they got some really odd looks and like, you know, kind of criticism, like, what are you new? How do you not know how to recycle as a an adult, you know? And so I think it's becoming more and more of a 21st century expectation. So we're not doing our kids any favors if we graduate them from 12th grade without knowing how to do something really basic like recycle. So I think that's fantastic that you guys have made it so organized. I, you also have a segment on your website about field trips. And I know from my own experience, what happens to students and even adults who go on field trips to see what happens to waste, what happens to recycling. Um, talk to us about the field trips that your schools can go on to help students learn more about recycling and zero waste. Yeah, so um, I am currently working with a school, and I really hope it can work out. But our, our some of our schools, five of our schools, do composting, and we'll approach that um, next. But so there's a seventh grade teacher who I'm working with, and um, her she's having her students develop like an app for food waste. And so wow. I can I let her know that we can have a field trip to our composting facility, and the school's already composting there in their cafeteria. Um, where they can learn about soil composition and um, the process of what happens to their food waste. So I'm really, really hoping that um, I can get them to go out there because I think that would really be able to make have them make a connection to this one, you know, task that they're doing of separating out their food to where it's to the end to the end life of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm really hoping I can at least get one of those done um, this this fall or in the winter. Uh, the composting facility is spring is just too busy for them. So I'm really hoping to get it done this year. Um, yeah. And on our website, uh, we actually work really closely with the Mass DEP green team and they were able to give us or to give a presentation or a list of resources recently that have a whole bunch of virtual MRF tours, uh, materials recycling facilities tours mm -hmm. around the state, which is really comprehensive and great. And they also, um, have a tour of the waste management core facility, which is located in Charlestown in Boston. And that's like um, 
or anaerobic digestion area for mm-hmm. for Boston. Um, and they uh, have a depackaging center there. Um, I've taken some students to that tour as well, and uh, it smells really bad, um, <laughs> but because it's just a whole bunch of food sitting in a warehouse. But um, mm-hmm. it's really cool to hear the process of how the there's not many of these waste management core facilities. There's like I think maybe less than ten around the country, mm-hmm. but um, they yeah they they make all of the food waste, depackage it into a slurry, and um, and send that to um, Lawrence. So um, yeah, those are just some some different opportunities. But I love the idea of a virtual tour uh, because it can really help give the students an idea of having there without you know the a lot of the logistics of a field trip. Absolutely. Well, and one of the other things that's such a great um, upshot of the field trips is that students get to see all the careers that are involved. I mean, I've taken students to landfills and they've met people, you know, everybody from, you know, operators who have a high school diploma to PhDs who are the industrial engineers that are working on, you know, the, you know, the the infrastructure of the place. And you know, it, it's really it's really impactful for students to see how that part of the world works. So it's really cool. Now, this next question I know is like a big part of your job, Jenny. So take your time answering this one. But dealing with food waste, I, I mean, it is vexing for a lot of school districts. They really have a tough time with this. Tell us how Boston Public Schools is approaching food waste. Right. Yeah. So this is uh, the main reason why I have my job um, is because Massachusetts DEP, um, they have a organics waste ban, um, which was uh, instituted in October of 2014, um, stating that any establishment creating more than one ton of waste uh, would be out of compliance with the ban. Um, And in November of last year, they lowered the threshold to half a ton of food waste. Um, with some of our schools being 2,400, one, one school that's 2,400 students um, and some schools over uh, 1,000 students, um, based off of, of some of the math, we they decided that, yeah, some of our schools were going to be out of compliance. Um, so my main responsibility is to launch this food waste collection pilot program. Um, it's currently launched in five cafeterias and one back-of-house kitchen. Um, and I actually talked today with another kitchen and they're excited to um, have that. So hopefully I'll be able to get that launched by the end of the month. Um, so what we do is provide uh, these green totes that basically just look like they're recycling totes, but they're green um, it, through our waste or through our organics um, hauling company. And um, they're composted offsite to a facility nearby. What's really wonderful with this is that um, we can compost everything from meat to grains to mm. dairy. Um, so anything the students are provided with food can go in there. They don't have to just separate out the vegetables, which I think um, I think would be more complicated. Um, mm-hmm. So we just have them kind of take out their plastic, uh, hold onto their tray, and dump every dump the food into the compost bins, um, and the custodians just roll them out um, outside, and they're picked up from our schools. And what the um, good thing with the custodians too, is that I've heard from them saying like, this is really great because, you know, the food is so heavy and we're taking this heavy material out of, out of the bags. We don't have to lift the bags up anymore or, you know, haul them into the dumpsters. So it really does help them as well. 
um, mm-hmm. from injury for injury prevention. Um, each school is unique and provides different challenges and opportunities. So, eat, like from even like logistics to like where like where the cafeteria is versus where the dumpsters are and how it moves through the building, and um, different communities. So. When I approach a school and try to launch it there, I really try to get to know the school leaders, the students, the communities there, so I can um, kind of tailor the programs to those specific schools. Um, and we also want to make sure that they have uh, awareness of the issues of food, of food waste, and like why we're doing it related to the methane emissions. Um, I also have them do waste audits, which can be really actionable items for them to kind of hands-on see the waste separated and weigh it and have, again, data and Excel spreadsheets. Um, Love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, which probably I'm more excited about. <laughs> but, um, and most importantly, building relationships with the school-based stakeholders. So um, principals, custodians, teachers, and students. Custodians being, I think, the most important aspect of that because they really know the buildings inside and out. And I, um, I really value my relationships with them and their willingness to work with me, um, especially since this is like something that's kind of, um, it's still in their con- their union contract, but um, it's, it's slightly just different. But they the, the custodians that I've been working with have been really wonderful and they do really like the this option. Um, so it's been nice to see kind of that um, relationship building. Uh, that's awesome. And, yeah. and in the state of California, we're a little bit behind Massachusetts. Our, our food waste um, bans went into place later than yours did um, by several years, actually, which is kind of funny. California always likes to think it's at the leading edge, but <laughs> but not so much um, on some of these things. I mean, we didn't have to start doing this in schools until January of 2022. Um, but knowing that you guys have already solved some of the problems that our schools are having is is great to hear. And I hope that our, our school districts are listening. How do you guys deal with clutter on your campuses? Yeah, it's um, facilities management does provide a detailed clutter guide on our website for all of our schools. And the intention for that is for them, um, if a school is interested in starting a declutter process, they can use that guide um, to connect with various members of our teams. Um, We had a really successful declutter at a school this summer and we were able to, you know, coordinate with the the people who haul the dumpsters and um, our furniture waste, uh, f- to people who handle our furniture, um, to ensure that everything is like properly sorted and and gets done in a timely manner. Um, so decluttering really does help our pest management issues um, and asthma triggers and um, frees up valuable school space. So it's really important that we can kind of get these these spaces cleaned out and um, in a appropriate manner for the waste. Absolutely. And when, again, the school district with all of your partnerships is kind of helping to manage this, then you have the right partnerships and, you know, people to call for getting things hauled and handled in the exact right way. Sometimes when schools try to do this themselves, again, it just turns into a real calamity um, because they don't have all the relationships that the school district has. So, Hats off to you guys. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have more with Jenny Leary from Boston Public Schools. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. Our guest is Jenny Leary, Zero Waste and Sustainability Project Manager for Boston Public Schools. So, Jenny, I know that sometimes schools have a buildup of clothing and textiles. How does Boston Public Schools address these items? Yeah, so um, the city of Boston partnered with a company called Helpsy in 2021 to install textile collection bins across the city. Um, so, uh, including our schools, um, and this is in order to comply with the mass DEP textile, there's a theme, right? Mass DEP, um, <laughs> mass DEP textile waistband that was put into place, um, in November of 2022. So we currently have 16 host schools through Helpsy and any school can reach out, um, and we'll coordinate with them if, if it makes sense to have it on their, on their site. Um, sometimes space is limited, so it doesn't work out. Um, but they're a really great passive opportunity for schools to raise funds. Um, Helpsy does give each school seven cents per pound of donated textiles. Um, and prior to this partnership, we also had a partnership with Bay State Textiles um, and several all of our schools, and they give five cents per pound. So um, nice. anyone in Boston, if they want to help raise funds for a school, just donate them to the school bins. Um, it's really, uh, yeah, it's a really great way to help. Yeah, yeah that's, waste. that's a great win-win for yeah, the community. Really. <laughs> that's awesome. What about e-waste? Because that can be a big issue. And, and sometimes, you know, we talk about clutter. I mean, the warehouse can get pretty full of old, you know, e-waste equipment. What do you guys do with it in Boston? It's handled through our um, Office of Information Technology. So the custodians and operations team members at the school, um, they have like a form they have to fill out. Uh, and all e-waste is kind of put aside into a specified area. Um, They submit the form and it's collected. It does have to, like, the company that picks it up 
does want to wait until there's at least a decent amount. So it might be once a year um, or just on call if there's like a new um, kind of influx of new material equipment. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for data for this last year, we recycled over 1,000 items, equaling roughly 550,000 pounds. Wow, that's quite a bit. But you guys are a large district, so you've got to have a solution for that. A lot of people don't think about, you know, schools having hazardous waste, but you've got, you know, sometimes light bulbs, paint, cleaners, all kinds of different things that can be classified as hazardous waste. Um, How does Boston Public Schools handle that? Yeah, this is actually handled through our environmental division, um, and they have separate contracts for hazardous and universal waste, so including the lamps, batteries, any mercury-containing devices, or pesticides. Um, They must be labeled according to the type of waste and uh, have the date of generation, and each school custodial area has an accumulation location, and um, I believe that universal waste is picked up once a year and then um, by any needs, especially if there's, like, you know, a new, like, LED light bulb change out or things like that. Um, uh, and each school could just go through the environmental technician um, based on their school. Again, I love the fact that this is centralized with the school district. Um, it's just exactly the way to go. Now, on this question, I want you to take your time, Jenny, because Boston Public Schools deserves a chance to shine. <laughs> you have a <laughs> lot of things to be proud of. So what are some of the highlights and achievements. Uh, I know I've seen it on the website since 2017, some of the things that are listed as really great things that I'd love to give you a chance to share with our listeners. Awesome. Yeah. So I report to the Sustainability Energy and Environment Director at BPS, um, and she has done an incredible job at sort of building up our team. Um, So we have four energy technicians who monitor all um, all of our electric bills and uh, monitor all of the um, heating systems and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have five in my environmental technicians, and they have successfully installed over 4,400 4, <laughs> air quality monitors across the district. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also handle anything from asbestos, lead. Um, they have uh, a whole, I mean, yeah, they have a whole team for this um, mm-hmm. to handle all of these different environmental concerns. Um, uh, we have a water project manager who's responsible for installing uh, and testing water refill stations for improved drinking, um, access to safe drinking water. And then we also, uh, we were hired the same day, um, but there is an outdoor teaching and learning manager who's responsible for school gardens and outdoor classrooms. And then I was I was hired, um, so I'm mostly just, I handle all of the solid waste. Um, and then earlier this year, BPS, when the U.S. Uh, Department of Education Green Ribbon School District Sustainability Award for all of this work. And that is no small feat. I mean, for anybody who's taken a look at the U.S. Green Ribbon School Program, um, it's difficult to win it as a school. But when you win it as a school district, especially a very large urban school district, that is incredibly special. Um, It's hard. It's rigorous. There's a lot of documentation. You have to prove that you're doing some of the things you're doing and document all of these things. Um, So that is outstanding. Congratulations to you and the team. That's really something to be proud of. Thanks. Yeah. I'll shout out to Catherine, who's our fearless leader. So, Yes, absolutely. Now, this is kind of a personal question, Jenny, but we have a lot of listeners who are high school students, college students, and young adult adults who really want a job in sustainability. And they're always wondering, 
well, what degree do I need to get? Or what certification do I need to get? How do I get a green job? And so one of the things I like to do on Go Green Radio is talk to people like yourself about the path you've taken to have the job you have and get your advice. Uh, What would you say to some of these folks who are listening who would love to have a job just like yours? Yeah, so my path is actually quite interesting. I have my Bachelor of Arts in Drama from Ithaca College. Um, <laughs> so I I don't have a degree in theater. Or sorry, I do have a degree in theater. I don't have a degree in um, sustainability. Um, and that has actually kind of had a, been a hindrance to me, um, especially just when people see my resume. Uh, they don't, you know, it has been sort of a barrier. But um, for anyone who uh, who is really passionate and may have a degree that's not aligned with this, just use your networks and connect with people and ask people like I do a lot of cold. I did a lot of like cold questioning on um, LinkedIn and just mm-hmm. kind of built up community there. And I think that's an important skill set um, to to have as you're trying to navigate this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really lean out on my skill sets as a stage manager. That's what I focused on in college. Um, to help prepare and organize my projects. So I think also, if you don't have a degree in um, in green or sustainability work, um, try to figure out ways in which your degree can help and how you can provide a unique perspective to it because um, I think it's really valuable. And I think that honestly, that my skill set um, as a stage manager working in theater is, is my strongest skill set that I bring to my jobs. Absolutely. I mean, Project management and program management skills translate. That's what everybody's looking for. Um, And once you get that first job in sustainability, nobody's going to question your resume again after you do that first job. So if you can land that first one, you can build the credibility. And I think what you said about LinkedIn is so right on. I tell a lot of our student interns, if you are not connected with me on LinkedIn, you are incorrect. I have a huge network. (laughs) And so, you know, you know, use that, you know, talk to the people, leverage the people um, that you can connect with. That is how a lot of people get jobs. So LinkedIn is a huge, huge asset. So we just have maybe a minute left, Jenny. So in those final moments that we have left in the show, what parting thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners? Yeah, um, I just think I think what and I thought about this recently in a in a presentation I gave is um, evaluating our relationship with waste. I think that we've sort of as a society associated waste with the word away, and so we think of it as out of sight, out of mind. But there, uh, we consider it someone else's problem, at least in the first world country viewpoint. Um, and I think if we just are able to uh, think of waste as um, some an issue that we can collectively solve we have a greater chance of making these changes that our world really needs. So well um, said. I love it. Thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us as well. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.